1: the guy was who came up with the it happens in threes is that more of a saying or has that been actually data proven we'll get to that analytics question here in a minute because usually when you're talking about things happening in threes it's not good so let's hope that paulie podcast darren urban and kyle odegaard can defy the happening in threes because i've had one beset upon me in the last few days. Two days ago, I walked outside an Albertsons Gentleman, follow me here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. And there was a vehicle, I somehow lost the front row parking spot at the grocery store to a vehicle that can only be described as the Batmobile turned into into a a Mardi Gras parade float. It was incomprehensible, the 25 foot vehicle that was parked in the front row, it belonged in the circus. Then yesterday I pulled up on $150,000 Maserati that was right out of Dr. Seuss. It had a paint job and or a wrap job that was what's the Dr. Seuss that has to deal with spots. And it was multicolored spots all over this thing. Um, something straight out of what I saw in Berkeley back in the college days. And then, just to continue silly season and confirm, we now have a mock draft, gentlemen, out of the NFL Network here today that contends the Arizona Cardinals will move up into the top ten, give up draft capital and other assets to draft a wide receiver. So, yes, these things do happen in threes. And, yes, that was a long way to go to ridicule the latest mock draft and cite the need for this draft to happen sooner than later.
2: Well, we're we're
0: right on we're right on the, the precipice, right, Paul. There's this podcast, and then there's next week's podcast, and uh, and then we're there, and and that's really how everybody, I'm sure, marks the time is uh, episodes of Cardinals Underground and when they're coming out.
2: I have to say that was a very tenuous link between cars at Albertsons and mock drafts, but I thought you brought it all together and put a nice bow on it. Nobody noticed until I brought it back up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The the, the link there, Kyle, was hashtag silly season. I mean, what is the craziness that that has all of a sudden uh, surrounded us here in the week or so ahead of the NFL draft? It's sort of like, um, did you hear New Texans GM Nick Casario? And when the media was peppering him with questions and his response was, look, if you want to speculate, go trade Bitcoin, which I thought was a nice mic drop rip job on the media. So the speculation has just gotten to the point of Bitcoin media, has it not? I mean, it's like the cryptocurrency of mock drafts at this point. When you have the Cardinals, Kyle, going up into the top 10 and then drafting a receiver? Come on now. Yeah, I
2: mean, obviously when you do seven mock drafts per analyst and there's 564,000 analysts out there, you're going to have a lot of silly ideas and different moves. Do I think the Cardinals will trade up? I would doubt it because you look at their draft capital right now, and they don't have a lot of ammunition to move up. And say you give up your second rounder this year, you're putting a lot of trust in that first round pick. And I mean, if you get a, an all pro player, then it works out. But if you miss and you're talking about going over for the first four rounds because you don't have the other picks, that can really set an organization back. So. It would surprise me if they moved up for sure. And like you said, wide out, I don't know. I mean, first round, I think you're going up for a player that you absolutely love. I don't think position's as big a deal, Um, but that certainly isn't the position we've always been talking about. It's certainly cornerback.
0: I think ultimately I'm going to be stronger. I mean, Kyle is being very nice there. There's no way... On God's green earth, they trade up. I there's just no way. And it comes down to that that capital, which they they made their draft move by trading the third round pick for Rodney Hudson. I think in terms of the the picks that they had going into this offseason, once they made that that deal, um, that is is ultimately um I think where that went. And, and I certainly wouldn't trade up for a wide receiver. I mean, to be honest, Paul, I don't even think they're going to pick a wide receiver at 16. Why would you trade up to seven to get them? Now? I understand the argument would be, well, in this case with Peter Schrager's mock draft, he's talking about getting what he sees as a special talent in Jalen Waddle. But I mean, the, the, when you start breaking down the receivers that have been picked over the last few years, the ones who really pop and the ones that don't, I mean, it's a 50 50 proposition. If a first round wide receiver even does anything for you worth a damn, uh, much less becomes an all pro. So I, I just, I don't see it. That makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah. And I'm with you. And we hashed this out. Not only the hit and miss nature of the position itself over the last five years or so, especially first round wide receivers, but the fact you have a pair of second round wide receivers, you need to find out about this year. So I think that's where the Cardinals are at with that position. And I'm with you guys in that they're targeting another position first and foremost, Kyle mentioned it, but our segue into that position is a letter to the fans by Patrick Peterson. And Darren, I know you wrote about it on azcardinals.com, but the one quote that got me near the top of it, and it's pretty lengthy was quote, am I surprised to be leaving a little bit? I'm not going to lie, but I wasn't taken aback by it. If that makes sense quote, end quote, Patrick peace Patrick Peterson.
0: I, 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 there was a few things in there that obviously caught my eye. Um, I, I will say that the, the one thing that really did was him acknowledging at the very end that it did not end here the way he would have liked. Um, you know, you can sit there and say you weren't surprised, which I agree that he wasn't, but I think, down deep, Patrick Peterson wanted to be a Cardinal for life. And I know there are fans that are, you know, we've talked about this a million times. I know there are fans that disagree with this. I know there are fans that were ready to see Patrick move on with everything that had happened. I know that Patrick asked for a trade at one point. So I, I get the fans that are like, how could you talk about this guy wanting to be a Cardinal for life when he wanted out? But I I do think that he had gotten to the point and where this team was and and where he was in his career and with his family that I think he wanted to stay here. And I do, as he acknowledged, was disappointed uh, that he didn't get to stick around.
1: Kyle, your takeaways from the uh, essay by Patrick Peterson to the fans.
2: Yeah, I thought it was it was great that he wrote it and acknowledged a lot of people that meant a lot to him and talked about teammates and fans and coaches. I thought it was a nice little journey back through what he'd been through because he was he went through a lot with the Cardinals, a lot of very high highs and some low lows. Not a guy who had many just normal seasons. I mean, He was a pro bowler and an all pro in a lot of those seasons. And then he had the PED suspension. And like Darren said, asked for a trade. Like a lot of stuff went on during his 10-year tenure. But I I thought it was a nice thing of acknowledging uh, the fans and and what he wrote. I think it it put a nice kind of bow on a a tenure that was sometimes up and down. But if we look back and see what he meant to this team, I think he was – one of the most pivotal players for the last decade. And he was certainly one of their best players for that time span. So it'll be interesting to see what this team looks like without him. I mean, he's been such a fixture as that number one cornerback for so long. And you think Malcolm Butler can move in there and do it. But if he can't, I mean, you you haven't really had like a sieve at both one and two corners. There's obviously been questions at number two, but... Patrick Peterson always did a nice job of limiting the damage for the team defensively. So you have to hope that Malcolm Butler and and the rest of the guys can pick up that
1: slack. He named a few names in the essay, including Johnny Hayward, longtime member of the uh, Cardinals broadcast team and and one of the videographers. And I saw where Johnny Hayward retweeted and said, You know what? Pat never hesitated to wear a microphone in his big matchups, he never declined checking and shadowing and traveling with the Julio Jones and Calvin Johnson's of the world. And and, and with that, he was so confident in his abilities. He would wear the mic, which as we all know, guys, behind the scenes, some guys like to wear the mic. Some don't. Some guys like the extra attention. Some don't. Some selectively pick the games in which they think they have the best chance to succeed before they wear the mic and have the NFL films treatment and get the wired, feature uh, that week and the video on Cardinals broadcasting. So I agree with that. Pat was always up for the challenge. You, you never had to ask him twice. And there's an unbelievable value when you when you think back of all the defensive coordinators that Cardinals have had over the years, from Todd Bowles to James Betcher to now Vance Joseph, and every one of those guys cited the unbelievable importance as a DC to start your game plan with, okay, our number one corner, Is going to go against your number one receiving threat and then your game plan trickles down from there do the cardinals have that guy this year do they need that guy do they have to change what they're going to do ideally vance joseph speaks of being a press man cover team and you'd like to have that number one cover corner who can travel with the tyler lockets of the world just in your own division and some of the other premier receivers there's no doubt about that it's interesting though we had frank sanders on the big red rage longtime Cardinals receiver and avid golfer like Patrick Peterson. And he said he had played golf recently with Pat P and Pat P told him that, you know what, Frank, I just felt like there needed to be some change and there's nothing wrong with that change on both sides. And Pat P's introduction his essay was much better than my introduction to Cardinals underground, where I thought (laughs) he likened this point in his career to an Arizona sunset. Which are some of the most spectacular in the world. And you know what? I think of Pat P right now in similar terms. The sun is set, it's a glorious sunset. He had a Hall of Fame caliber career with the Cardinals, but it was time to move on.
0: I think that's a fair way to address it. And and I'm you know, I'm I'm glad that he's trying to look at it that way. I mean, let's face it, he doesn't have much another way to really look at it. I mean, the reality was, is I, I, you know, judging and we don't know the specifics. Okay. And, and I, I don't know for sure how things went down, but the more I, I try and read between the lines of what Steve Kime has said over time, uh, this off season and what Patrick has said a couple of different times, I'm not even a hundred percent sure they ever actually extended any kind of offer to him at all. Um, and if they did it was probably for a lot less money than Patrick was expecting but I, there's a chance that they knew he was going to be able to get more elsewhere and and that's kind of what they were thinking and and if that's the case that's a i can understand why that that'd be a tough way to do it but if that's the way it went down i mean you don't have much choice but to then to start over so i'm glad he's trying to get his arms around it like i said he, he did say that he was a little disappointed that it ended that way but um, such is the business of this league uh, in a lot of ways. And we're, we're going to see what Patrick has left. He talks about wanting to play at least five more years, and uh, he's only under contract for one. So we'll see how this, this goes forward with him. Um, but, you know, I, I can't help but like Patrick. I always got along with Patrick. Um, he was great for us uh, and treated me very well. So, um, you know, from the day he showed up, Uh, for his press conference after the 2011 draft uh, till the very end. I mean, he was always great with me and and I wish him nothing but the best.
1: And you guys know, you dealt with him in the locker room all the time. I had the pleasure of emceeing a number of his charity events, same guy in front of the camera, off camera. He's the same guy, very affable, great with his kids. Oh my gosh, his two daughters and his wife Antonique at some of those charity events that I emceed always had that affable personality and that, that, you know, that great smile that, uh, you know, could, could, could light things up. So, yeah, that's when you knew, to me, the one year under Steve Wilkes, that's where it bottomed out, it was after the Broncos lost on the Thursday night and then Pat P followed up a few days later and it became known that he had somehow requested a trade. And the frustration just boiled over, I think, on two counts. One, the Cardinals weren't winning. Two, he wasn't being utilized the way he wanted to be in that defense. He didn't get a chance to travel with Emmanuel Sanders on that Thursday night game in prime time. And Emmanuel Sanders torched him against the backup safety. Rudy Ford, it was, who blew it on a, on a zone coverage, which Pat never thought they should have been in in the first place, Kyle.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that says a lot about how he was feeling. I mean, he didn't like to lose, certainly, but I agree with you. I think a big part of it was just playing that scheme where he he's – such an excellent press man corner. And he was at that point in his career, shutting down Julio Jones and Deandre Hopkins and not shutting down, but making sure they weren't going absolutely off in games. And he didn't want to be on a certain side of the field and playing 15 yards off of a guy or 10 yards off of a guy and peering into the backfield. That wasn't his game and he wasn't happy. And I just, I've always appreciated his authenticity. And I think it, it has rubbed people the wrong way because he's very truthful about how confident he is in himself and his play, but he's also truthful in other aspects. And I think that's what we appreciate about him because when you get to that level of fame, you don't have to always be that open. You can just kind of, put on a, a, a some sort of facade and and say what people want to hear and just move along. But he always answered truthfully. And to me, I really respected that and appreciated that. And that's why I'm always going to have a, a high level of appreciation for Patrick Peterson.
1: He, he was even forthright when DK Metcalf hawked Buddha Baker. Yep. Remember after the game, he said he kind of smiled and shook his head a little bit of gallows humor and said, yeah, I don't have those young legs anymore. And it was sort of a, a first-time admission that he couldn't keep up with someone else out on the field. And, and I think that was a sobering realization that he was a 30-year-old. And you're not going to run with the DK Metcalfs of the world when, when you've got 10 years in the league.
2: And this that's why this season in particular is going to be so interesting because you can understand the thought process of not bringing Patrick Peterson back because it does look like he's – in a level of physical decline but his peak was so high if he does bounce back or if he does play similarly the vikings got a good deal for that contract but if that was the peak and he starts to deteriorate deteriorate rapidly then he's a cornerback who might have to shift to safety or might have to play zone or get more help over the top so i'm really intrigued to see what this season looks like for him um I think there's two ways it could go. Either he could be a quality cornerback once again, or it could start having the wheels fall off pretty quickly. And then and
1: then you start wondering how long does he have left at cornerback? Which brings us to the draft in that position. Darren Urban, T-minus one week and counting until the NFL Draft 2021. How shocked will you be if the Cardinals don't go cornerback?
0: I'll be honest, Paul. That's that's really for me. It's it's kind of impossible to answer right now, just because of I don't know who's on the board. Um, I, I everything is pointed that way for such a long time. That kind of stuff scares the heck out of me when only one position stands out so much that you're going to spend a first round pick on it. That that's, I mean, it's it, okay if you're picking really high and you're going after a quarterback that's a little different of a situation. But if you're picking, you're picking in the middle of the first round and you're super locked into one position that scares me. Um, well you brought
1: it up last week. The second round pass rusher out of Yukon oh, was his name? Uh, Cody Brown. Cody Brown. They forced it.
0: Yeah, they forced that. And and it's you you just you can't be in that position and and again this is what Steve Kime has spent the offseason trying to do is is not have those holes. That's why he did it last year with the guys he signed in Campbell and Jordan Phillips uh, and and that's what he to tried to do mostly this offseason with the guys he signed and he even signed a cornerback. The problem with they have a cornerback is that they really had nobody. I mean Patrick Peterson wasn't the only one that's not around anymore. You don't have Drake Kirkpatrick. Patrick. You, you don't, you, you just have Byron Murphy and uh, an unknown and Robert Alford and that's what's so scary at this point uh, with this whole thing. So Will I be surprised? I will, here's, I'll put it this way, Paul. If there's a guy on the board, I will be surprised if they don't take him uh, a little bit. But it also will tell me a lot. If Horn and Sertan are off the board and Farley's the guy and he's sitting at, there at 16 and they pass on him, I think that says more about what, how they feel about Farley in particular rather than wanting to go in a different direction just because of. Caleb Farley has had the, the injury issues and Caleb Farley did not play in 2020. So he hasn't played in a football game since 2019. I mean, these, these are things that are, I would think, worry you a little bit. Now, are you, are you in a position where, hey, if we can trade back to 23 and get Greg Newsome, that's fine. But if we can't trade back and you're going to take Greg Newsome in the first round anyways, Would you just take him at 16? I mean, that's the other thing they've got to figure out. If he's your guy at 23, he still should be your guy at 16. Look,
1: if you have Sertan or J.C. Horn still lingering there at 13, 14, that's the scenario where I could see the Arizona Cardinals trading up. A little bit, a little bit. Just a couple of slots up the board. Make sure no one jumps in front of them to get their guy, one of those two guys. And I I agree with you, Darren. I think it's – it's the big two right now at cornerback, Sertan and J.C. Horn. I could see them maybe making a move up the board to nab one of those two guys. Otherwise, they're either standing at 16, Cal, or trading down if their guy isn't there.
2: No, I think that puts way too much value on these cornerbacks. I mean, that's, that's your biggest need, but you've got a lot of other needs when you look beyond just 2021, and you guys aren't as on board with the receiver, but I think – If you're sitting at 16 and you can either trade up and get J.C. Horn at 13 or if you wait a Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith or somebody falls, give me the receiver 10 times out of 10 where you're not giving up draft capital to move up. So I I think it's more likely that they draft somebody other than a cornerback in the first round because – I think Sertan and I think J.C. Horn will probably go before 16. I don't think they're going to trade up, and I don't think they're going to reach for a corner. And, yeah, I mean, if Newsom or Farley or Asante Samuel or somebody is really highly ranked and they like him more than the consensus mock drafts, then that's fine. But I think think in the first round, you go with the best player – available no matter your need because it's it's important for the long-term health of the franchise to hit on that pick because, hey, you got Greg Newsome or whoever. Don't you mean to use him as a, a bad thing, but if the guy doesn't work out, it doesn't matter that you picked a cornerback because you needed a cornerback. I don't think that's a good way to go into a draft.
0: Well, I, I First of all, I agree with you, Kyle, with the idea that I don't see them trading up. I don't have a problem with them taking a receiver. If they think he's the best guy at 16, don't get me wrong. I mean, if that's the direction they want to go, I mean, beyond, at this point, beyond DeAndre Hopkins, after the season, who's your receiver? Kirk's going to be up. You still don't know anything about Isabella. Adrian Green's on a one-year deal. I have no problem getting a young receiver that you think could be ultra talented. I I don't have a problem with that. There's other places I wouldn't mind looking, so it would depend on how your board is. And, again, when we start talking about best player available, don't forget – and this is very real, that when they rank their board of the best players of the, the tiers that they have for where all these guys fit, need matters. Need is factored into this whole thing in terms of how they have them ranked. So um, you're, you're gonna not necessarily just go way off the reservation with, uh, and I, I can't even, the, the thing is, is you can't even think of a player right now that they have so many of that you wouldn't wanna take them. All yeah, right, I mean, I
2: get it at quarterback. Obviously, yeah, even quarter- if you like a quarterback, you're not taking them because you're not using that draft capital. But I, I get the need perspective, but I would still, if I'm drafting at 16, I would just go straight favorite player on the board because I think what, where they're at with their long-term needs, it's, it's just so vast that I think any player that you think is a Pro Bowl caliber player, you just grab them and you figure it out.
1: I'm sitting there at 16, the corners are gone pass rusher is gone that you think is worth it at 16. And I'll, I'll get to that position group in a minute, what Drew Grigson told us in the Big Red Rage, the director of player personnel. But I'm sitting in there at 16, and your best option is receiver. I'm trading down. Absolutely trading down in the name of Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy last year. I don't care if Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell are there at 16. I'm moving down to 20, 23. I'm getting a nice asset in return. You don't have a third rounder. You don't have a fourth rounder, whatever that commands. I don't care. And then I'll take my receiver there. The position group is deep enough. You might not get the guy you were thinking at 16. That's, that's the way I would approach receiver here based on the lack of return on investment the last few years at that position.
0: Okay, so my question then is, if the receiver group is so deep that you can wait till later to get one, why would somebody trade up to get a receiver when they can also wait and get somebody later?
1: Well, let's say maybe a quarterback is still on the board at that point. You know, I'm not saying that the team trading up is going after a receiver, but they might have a different need that. Well, so moves. you're
0: counting on somebody wanting yeah. to move up, though. Right.
1: That's the thing. I'm working the phones. I'm working the phones. Any takers who wants 16. Uh, let me hear your best offer. You've got seven minutes.
0: OK, so here, here's the, my approach. Here's the question then, Paul. You work the phones. You can't. You don't get either. They're asking you to go from sixteen to thirty, and you don't like it, or you can't get any takers. And you're on the board with sixteen, and those the corners are off the board, and uh, and, and and the best player on your board is a receiver. You're still not taking a receiver.
1: That receiver better be a significant margin ahead of any other player available on my top one twenty. That, that would be my answer to that.
2: You're getting way too caught up in the statistical noise of recent first-round receivers not playing well. I mean, it, if you had a bigger sample size or anything like definitive that receivers always are less productive than their draft stock, that's fine. But I, I think one or two or three years of, you're talking about maybe 10 wide receivers in total and judging this year's draft class off of what they did, I think will just put you in a bad spot. I think it's all about the evaluation of the prospects. I mean, we've seen Odell Beckham come in and light things on fire and Mike Evans and Julio Jones was a first round pick, Justin Jefferson. I mean, there's plenty of first round wide receivers that have been great and there's plenty that have busted and it's probably about the same bust rate as every other position, because if there was a clear data out there that a certain position is not worth it in the first round, those players would move down and they have at running back. And that's been kind of borne out, but I don't think that's the case at receiver. I think that position is becoming more important as we become a passing league. So once again, if there's if my top rated guy is a receiver at 16, I would definitely take him,
1: you know, this is just my, my thought, and, and I don't have the data in my fingertips. If you had zoomed out to 10, 15, 20 years, I would agree with you. Last five years, no. No, if you go back to the lack of success in first-round receivers the last five years. So you're right. I am basing it on that. Perhaps I'm putting too much stock in that. Um, I will say, though, that running back, to me, is a good comp for the receiver position. I do think of the receiver position right here, right now, akin to running back, unless the guy is Adrian Peterson, I'm not going top 10 at that position. I'm just not. So you're right. Uh, we do have a difference in opinion on that one. What about this? And and I saw this our, our Craig Grillo actually uh made this a featured element in a tweet from his cover two show here recently. And it was something that I was hitting on strong around the Super Bowl. Was I not, Kyle? When I say, it, oh, please, <laughs> draft gods, let a Devin White fall to the Arizona Cardinals at 16. A Roquan Smith, a Fred Warner, a Bobby Wagner, a Luke Keekley If there is that guy in the middle of the first round, make him your guy because what that guy can do in the middle of your defense. So what about it, gentlemen? What if, oh, I don't know, Micah Parsons has a bit of a questionable character grade by a lot of teams if Micah Parsons of Penn State starts to be the guy that guy who falls what do you do at 16 Darren
0: it's funny because the first thing I thought of when you just rattled off all those guys was they all went well before 16 you know so those guys don't usually last all the way till the middle of the round now I know you're saying the character issue uh, you mean like Ruben Foster fell when he was maybe gonna go top <laughs> yes. five? And, and, he...
1: and Ruben Foster would be the case not to do my scenario. Yeah, that's kind you're of you're absolutely point. right. Ruben Foster is by far the worst draft pick the Niners have had in a long time.
0: I'm gonna say that every case when it when it comes to quote unquote character is absolutely on its own. But I would think that this year, uh, with as many hindrances as the scouting process has provided because of the pandemic i am not rolling the dice on something that I, i'm not rolling the dice on character i'm not doing the Kandichi thing or or the tyron matthew thing i mean unless it's later you know if we're talking third round with tyron matthew that's a whole different ball game but i'm not spending a first round pick on a guy now i don't know much about his background i've heard good things about him as a player i so i i, I don't know I don't know to what you speak of at this point, but I will say this that I am not I'm not rolling the dice. I need a guy, I need a guy that I know is gonna be the right guy.
1: All right. So let's test Kyle's um, devotion to his best player available theory. If Micah Parsons is there and he's the best guy on your board, are you on board with that?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I want to do best player available in a tier system of premium positions too. So he could be the best player, but he's an inside linebacker. So that knocks him down. But at number sixteen, I think an inside linebacker is in play. If you think he's, you know, one of a, a top five athlete in the draft and he's sitting there at 16, I mean, inside linebacker isn't as important as outside linebacker and corner, but we saw the Daryl Washington, Carlos Dansby duo and how good those two were and how much better they made the defense. So it's not like there's this tremendous premium positions and lesser positions. If you get the best inside linebacker in the NFL, that is still going to be a huge boon for your defense. So I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, if, if Micah Parsons is your number one ranked guy right there, I think you draft him. And then, I mean, you figure it out when he's a rookie, maybe you move Isaiah Simmons around a lot more because he's going to plunk in or, He plays half the time until he's ready to play full time. But sure, I mean, Micah Parsons and Isaiah Simmons in the middle of your defense, you can dream about that. So all things being equal, I'd take the pass rusher and the corner. But if you're talking about the fourth corner or the best inside linebacker, then yeah, I think you do take a Micah Parsons.
0: And again, uh, being the, the, the splash of cold water on this, just like need is factored in when they start ranking their tiers and the best players so is character so that also could play into it he he might you might think he's the best linebacker ever and if a guy has issues off the field uh big time issues off the field that might move him all the way down out of your top 20 so you just you just don't know how they they're going to rank these guys
1: i'll just throw this out there it's still a copycat league the team that just won the super bowl had levante david and devin white at inside linebacker right along the lines of a daryl washington carlos dancing Name some of the great duos you know how about back in carolina's heyday when they had luke Keekley and thomas davis think of so yes think of isaiah simmons and a micah parsons you're, dot, you're, dot, dot.
0: you're not wrong but that duo didn't even make the playoffs until tom brady showed up so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves of what they meant.
1: And as for the tier system, you're yeah. right. Steve kimes still ascribes to the quarterback, left tackle, cornerback, edge rusher philosophy in that first round. So you know, ideally, that's where you're going, especially the top half of the first round. Now you're getting into the middle of the first round. Perhaps that's more likely to change, and and, and I'm sure it will. I mean, he he. Took Isaiah
2: Simmons, who's a hybrid, but inside backer, and he took Hassan Reddick to play inside backer. So clearly he's willing to do it after the top five. So there
1: you go. Okay, you guys are on board. Let's move on then. <laughs> <laughs> Round two, I will say something definitive. After we spoke with Drew Grigson, Cardinals Director of Player Personnel in the Big Red Rage, and we just asked him about general depth in this draft, an open-ended question, and he said, you know what? And this never happens do you know the deepest position group 2021 pass rusher edge rusher i said really because can you think of another year where the deepest position group was edge rusher come on now right you can usually count it on one hand if that so here's my prediction we already haggled out which way the cardinals are going to go in round one but gentlemen you gotta agree that in round two, considering the status of a Chandler Jones, an unknown going forward, and Marcus Golden also being 30 years of age plus, guess what? I think they're going edge rusher in round two, just based on depth alone, Darren. And you're sort of giving me that glimmer. Your your glasses are tilted back a little bit, and uh, you know your jaw is set to the the side. Uh, here it comes.
0: Well, I mean, I don't think they're I, would they mind an edge rusher if the right guy's there? Yeah, but it's funny. Uh, recently, um, I had a chance to talk to former defensive tackle Gabe Watson, and he was talking about when he got uh, drafted. <laughs> and uh, the year that Gabe Watson got drafted, which I believe was 06, um, he, he recalled the conversation he had with Denny Green, where Denny's like, I, I really love you. Um, and I think you're a first round pick, so I don't think by the time we get around to picking you, uh, we, we, uh, will be able to, cause you'll be long off the board. Cause in the first round, we're going to get a quarterback and in the second round, we're going to get a running back and what, whatever he, whatever the story was. And it just cracked me up because I'm like, that was kind of Denny. I remember being at the, at the combine one year and he, he was doing his press with the media. Uh, and it was the JJ Arrington draft, and he basically all but announced that they were going to take JJ Arrington in the second round, which is exactly what they did. Uh, and I just, maybe that's just how Denny worked things as opposed to all the cloak and dagger that we normally have around the draft. But that said, when you sit here and say, well, second round, they're going to go pass rusher, I don't think it works that way. I mean, <laughs> would, would they like a pass rusher? Would, if Denny was in the room, would they have already decided they're taking a pass rusher in the second round? Perhaps. But I, I, don't, I don't think that they're going to lock in and say, well, wait, this receiver who we really like in the second round after we got this cornerback in the first round, and we might need a receiver down the road, we might just spend the second pick on a, on a wide receiver or this, this offensive guard who we think slipped a little bit. I mean, those are also very strong possibilities to me than just going all Denny Green and saying, well, we'll take a pass rusher.
1: The only other coach I can recall who would do that, who would have that sort of audacity, Bruce Arians Bruce Arians and I remember we talked to him about this later it was an interview on one of his coaches shows and he had talked about a certain draft pick in the pre-draft presser of which historically nothing is said nothing concrete or detailed and he actually named a few names in that press conference (laughs) he told us on his coaches show that oh yeah well everybody thinks you're lying so I just told the truth and nobody believes you anyway so there's no risk. There's no harm, no foul because there's no risk because nobody thinks you're giving them real info anyway. Oh, okay, so here's my question to the two of you.
0: 2014, he comes out the second day of the draft, after the second day, and he goes, we're not drafting a quarterback because he didn't take Derek Carr, whatever he didn't do. And then the next day, the first pick in the fourth round, they take Logan Thomas, and he tells us all he lied. So the question is, right. did Bruce really lie the day before Or did he tell the truth that they weren't taking a quarterback and then they just changed their minds after he walked away from us?
1: I have a theory on that one. I'm not reporting. I'm just saying I don't think Bruce Arians or any of the coaches were on board with Logan Thomas. I'll just leave it there. That was a division of church and state, and I think that came from above, and I'll just leave it right there. Kyle.
2: See, I was going to say the opposite. I thought he, he liked Logan Thomas and, and liked the idea of him and had that Virginia Tech background and all that, but um, I don't know.
1: <laughs> what?
0: And we're just going to stop talking about that now.
1: Yeah. No, if not pass rusher in round two, Kyle. I mean, do you have an inkling, okay, uh, as to what position they might target in round two and then hit zoom out on round two in general? They don't have a, a third-round pick. They don't have a fourth-round pick. I mean they better make that one count, right?
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think edge rusher gets a little bit lost in this in this conversation because cornerback has been the heavy theme and then wide receiver, I think, to an extent, but I agree with you. When you look at beyond 2021, there are some questions at Edge Rusher, and I think it's it's legitimately in that top three with cornerback and wide receiver. So all things being equal, I think they're going to look closely at that group. And I think there's depth in part because there isn't elite talent at edge rusher where there's questions about all the top guys and there might not be a top 10 edge rusher, which is pretty rare these days. Everybody's looking for them and wants them. So I think that might play into it, but overall, yeah, I mean, when you look at how few picks you have in the top four rounds with just first and second, I think it's integral for the future of this team to hit on both of them, you know, in a perfect world because we're very focused on the here and now in 2021 and 2022. And most of this core is going to be here for that. And then I think there's question marks about what it's going to look like after that. And I think you need to start grooming some young players to become impact pieces and, it's obviously lottery tickets when you're talking about fifth and sixth and seventh round picks, but these first and second rounders can be core players and we see it right now the the Buddha Bakers and the Kyler Murray's and the Byron Murphy's. I mean all those guys are key players for this team and I just think hitting on these two picks this season is so essential because of how few picks you have and because of how few guys are under contract past 2022.
1: Because, Darren, to Kyle's point about the importance of these draft picks right here, right now, not just in the absence of certain draft picks that were traded away, whether in the Rodney Hudson deal or the fourth rounder, DeAndre Hopkins, that clock you hear ticking in the background isn't just for the 16th pick overall in the 2021 draft. That's on having a rookie quarterback contract under your cap. Cardinals are a year or two away from not being afforded that luxury. So to Kyle's point, it is more important than ever, I would think, that you are grooming a significant crop of young guys on rookie deals.
0: Yeah, there's no question that they've kind of, you know, they're in a position right now where it could get real sticky going forward if they don't hit on some of these drop picks. And that's why when you're not hitting on the draft or where you're even trading it away for other stuff, that it can be an issue. And And they really could use, I mean, people are going to look at, two fifths and a seventh or whatever, a fifth and two sevenths, whatever they have, um, and think, okay, this is the back end of the draft. I mean, if they could somehow get a starter out of one of those picks, and that's a stretch. At this point, they probably would just take, you know, depth uh, with all three of those guys. But if they could somehow get at least one starter out of that, that would be gigantic uh, with where they are right now because you you, you do get in a, in a tough spot. And, uh, you know... Look, I think everybody kind of addresses their needs in a completely, I wouldn't say completely different ways. There's only so many ways you can do it, but like teams can do it. I mean, there are teams that stockpile draft picks and that still doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win a bunch of games. Um, so you, you still got to be able to hit on those guys. And as Kyle was saying earlier, there's there is a bus factor at every position. Period. End of story. I mean, we're going to we're going to see three quarterbacks taken in the first three picks at least and potentially four or five quarterbacks in the top 10. And at least half of them are going to probably wash out. That's what the statistics say. So, I mean, and those are all guys that teams are counting on being, you know, their future. So, look, this is we, we say this every year you got to do better in the draft. I know fans get struggle with how Steve Kime drafts and and what he's going to, but the reality is, is A, you're going to miss on some guys just automatically because those are the numbers, and B, you're right. They better start hitting on some of those younger players because they need to start filling out the roster with guys that are going to be around
2: for three or four or five years at a relatively cheap contract. And that's why I feel like you can't handicap yourself by saying, I'm going to take a corner at 16, even if it's our fourth favorite cornerback. Like, I just think you have to c- c- keep a complete open mind. We've been talking so much about win win now in free agency, and that's obviously the time to plug the holes because you can get the veterans like a James Connor and a Malcolm Butler and, and really address your needs. And I just really zoom out when it comes to the first round of the draft, because this is a guy that you just, need in three or four years when you know have no idea what your roster composition is going to be and if you if you prioritize a cornerback over a better player at another position that just has the potential to be i just think it has a lot of downside potential because you're not taking the better player if you prioritize
1: positional need too much as you go from a first round pick this year to a second round pick no third no fourth you have a fifth a sixth and two seventh and guess what you can't count on a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick to be a contributor this year. Absolutely not.
0: Do they have a sixth?
1: Yes. A okay. fifth, a sixth, and two sevenths. And they picked up a sixth somewhere along the way because they traded away the sixth to the Giants in the Marcus Golden deal.
0: Oh, they got the sixth from Mason Cole. That's right. There you go. My bad.
1: So. So that's where they stand right now. But there's a huge gap between first and second round picks and then all of a sudden bringing in a fifth round rookie and beyond. So yeah. I agree with you, Kyle, that you're right. You can't make a mistake. And inevitably, if you're going to force a position, that's going to lead to a mistake. I guess my question becomes, if not corner in round one or round two, uh, okay, do you pick up the phone? Hey, Richard Sherman, uh, you want to stay in the NFC West? I mean, what are you doing at that point?
2: I think, I mean, Darren's point from a couple podcasts ago has really stuck with me where you have some cornerbacks out there on the free agent market that clearly aren't going to cost a lot. If you look at the Cardinals salary cap space, they have plenty of room to maneuver if they want to bring in a name. And I just think that's a definite option. Like, don't force yourself into grabbing a corner in the first or second round if you don't love them. Because, okay, it looks great on paper in June in July and then you get to camp and he's not ready and you're not in any better position than you were before the draft started. So I think there are plenty of cornerbacks out there. I mean, Drake Kirkpatrick came in and did fine. He wasn't great, but he was fine. I mean, you can find guys that can at least do it. There's a lot of veteran cornerbacks on the market. So I think that's just really stuck with me where you don't have to force cornerback, even though everybody thinks you do. I think, yeah, in a perfect world, if you get one, you feel really good because now you have somebody that you can build around them and Byron Murphy. You like those two already, but just don't force it.
0: I, I tend to agree with this. And and the deal is this, and we always hear the cliche of, you know, athletes or even coaches or front office blocking out the noise. I mean, I think this is one of those things where you block out the noise. Look, Steve Kime knows this reality. A lot of fans are grumpy with him because of a lot of the draft picks that he's taken over the years. So he knows this. He's in a no-win situation. I mean, unless he has the best draft class of all time, which we're not even going to know for a while, he's not going to change everybody's minds all of a sudden. It's going to usually it looks good on day uh, on the during the draft, and then we have to see how it plays out. We all know that. If they don't take a cornerback with one of the first two picks, the sky will be falling from the entire fan base. And, and he knows that. So why, why worry about it? Because if you take a cornerback in one of the first two picks and you do it, you feel like you need one, like Kyle said, and he fizzles out, the fan base is going to hate you anyways.
1: From the outside looking in, the Cardinals, according to some of the websites that track this sort of stuff, have 13 million plus in cap room right now. You have to account for your draft class, obviously, that comes out of that pool of money, but there is available money. They don't end up getting that corner in and, and round one. And then all of a sudden that becomes a dire need, and you just need bodies, period. Then you go out into the market, and there's still plenty of free agents available, as you guys, you guys detailed right there. So, okay. I would say this going into Thursday night and the, and the draft, April 29th, it doesn't appear from the outside looking in that the Cardinals have any glaring weaknesses after picking up Malcolm Butler, after picking up James Conner, after bolstering the offensive line, signing Marcus Golden, making the deal for J.J. Watt, etc. I mean, Kyle, would you agree with that? I mean, there isn't an obvious, really painfully obvious direction the Cardinals might go with 16 overall.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is painfully obvious like we've talked about because I don't think you should – target a position, even if it is a need. But I I do feel like the second cornerback and tight end are the two spots remaining where you probably need some sort of valuable player at those two positions. And whether that's 16 second round free agency, I don't know. But I, I think by the time we get to camp, you look at the roster, those would be the two spots where, I would be feeling better as the GM if if I have a, another option at number two corner, if I have a, a a tight end that can catch passes in the in the Dan Arnold type realm, because you've got Max Williams and he's done a nice job when he's been on the field. He's been a little bit injury prone, and then Darrell Daniels is the next guy behind him. So I still think tight end and, and cornerback are the two main ones to me. But I don't, I just don't subscribe to. I'm taking a corner at 16 and I'm taking a tight end in the second round because I think there are myriad ways to figure out ways to patch those holes.
0: I will say that I'm looking forward to the Robert Alford revenge tour that's inevitably coming as we all write him off and he comes in and he plays at a near Pro Bowl level.
1: It's got a good ring to it. He should come in with a concert tee, the Robert Alford Revenge Tour 2021. That would be a good concert tee. And you just list all the Cardinals opponents on the back and then maybe another column instead of cities on the, on the concert tour It'd just be a number of media people who writ, you know, wrote them off and you know, just name names on the back of that T-shirt. That's pretty solid. Somebody needs. To, where's the intern? We need to make that happen around here. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Who wants, who wants the Zach Ertz question? When you talk about tight end, there have been multiple sightings of Zach Ertz in the valley, anecdotally. <laughs> is his sense.
0: wife from Mesa?
1: His wife is from Mesa. Okay. Julie Johnston, you know, all USA soccer player now. Julie Ertz makes sense. Okay. Um, what's the deal with the Eagles right now? I mean, aren't aren't relations pretty poor there? Zach Ertz and the Eagles. having the Eagles tried to get a pretty penny in return for Zach Ertz? Even though I think the rest of the league is anticipating they're going to have to either deal him for pennies on the dollar or just flat out release him. I, I tell you the longer the offseason goes on and that tight end position is not addressed. And I do not expect the Cardinals to address it in the draft with, since they're low on picks, unless it's a fifth, sixth or seventh rounder, then I, I really wonder, okay, is Zach Ertz still on the radar somehow, some way Kyle?
2: Yeah, and that's what I mean by there's myriad ways to fill these holes because right now maybe you don't like the compensation it would take to trade for a Zach Ertz or whoever, but maybe in two months that changes and it's a more palatable deal to you. And who knows what the the behind-the-scenes conversations are like. I mean, you bring up Zach Ertz, but there's always like multiple things going on with different players and different – positions that we have no idea about until it comes out. DeAndre Hopkins last year, nobody knew he was on the block until he was traded. So I think there's, there's always the behind the scene things that we don't really know about in the media at large that can happen. And that's why I just feel like the Cardinals have some cap room. They have Draft assets next season. They're in win now mode. I think there's there's a lot of different avenues to filling any perceived roster holes, and I think you just can't can't keep such a keen eye on these first and second round picks because there's still a lot of free agents, there's trade possibilities, there's the draft. I think all three are avenues for potential success.
1: This is Sports Talk Radio. Okay, Paulie Pencilneck on line two. Here we go. First time. Uh, caller here's my trade uh here we go justin murray howie roseman you listening justin murray devon Kennard, and a fifth round pick for zach ertz let's make it happen. something like that on fun. draft day a draft day deal i mean a la kevin costner okay this is some sort of deal comes down like the movies and zach ertz ends up in a cardinals uniform
0: why why would they want no, I, I just don't see that. They, it's they, sports talk
1: radio. The trade doesn't have to make sense. I'm just <laughs> yeah, throwing it out there.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I that's mean, just
1: me uh, with my dramatic reenactment of what I, I think might just happen on draft day or draft weekend. Maybe a deal is uh, finalized for Zach Ertz by the Eagles.
0: Maybe. I, I just The problem with Ertz is he's already making, I think, $8 million this year, and he's going into his contract year. So are you going to do a rental for a draft pick? um and which you're probably going to want to pay them a lot of money I, i just i don't think it makes a lot of sense for here for the amount that they use their tight end but that's just me
1: well drew grigson did tell us on the big red rage that quote the shoe prints are on the table end quote that was in response to wolf's question about whether all the arguments have been hashed out in the war room about how to construct the big board and Guys who have been tracking and covering a player and analyzing and rating a guy for two or three years feel passionately about their player. And so there's spirited discussion. Sometimes Drew has to just step in with his 500 pound bench press and separate guys, you know. And, uh, you know, but that right now, the Cardinals top 120 is formulated. Whether there's adjustments between now and draft night, we'll see. But that's what they operate on. I mean, that's, that's the method, correct, Kyle? Yeah, and, they, and and like
2: Darren talked about, there is some focus on roster needs within that. It's not just a straight 120 best players because quarterback would be devalued this year. I mean, safety, maybe you love a safety prospect, but if he's anywhere close to a cornerback, you're leaning corner over safety because of what you got right now. Uh, so I think that plays into it, but... Overall, yeah, they get that 120 and then they're taking the guesswork and the anxiety out of draft day because it's, you know, you're just crossing off names or taking them off the board and then you have a good idea who's going to be there uh, when you're on the clock. And you want to go through those scenarios in the week or two leading up to it and saying, okay, if it's down to these three guys, who do we want? Because the last thing you want is to be on the clock with 10 or 15 minutes, whatever it is trying to have a debate. I mean, you want to have all that fleshed out and decided on, so there's no second guessing and no changing. And, you know, I'm sure it happens. Uh, There's a lot of different forces involved and a lot of people that have strong opinions, but anything you can do prior is a good thing because you want to have a very clear idea of your plan going into draft day.
1: As I pause for effect, because that leaves us with one unanswered question. What is Larry Fitzgerald's status going into the draft? I was hoping we'd get to this. Does that matter for Steve Kime in the war room? Does he need to know what Larry said? Does he know and we don't know? Where, where are we in the Larry equation right now? Anybody, everybody, I, what can you offer?
0: I did enjoy, I got a tweet yesterday with, a, with somebody saying, what's going on with Larry? We're almost to the draft the fans need to know and I'm like wow I, I gotta be honest I'll do respect to the fans or even us like I'm thinking we're down on the, the the priority list on who actually needs to know that information
1: where's Mark Dalton Cardinals VP and we need him isn't that the end of the uh, Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise and a few good men what is it uh you know I want to know you have a right to know what is it they go back and forth at the end you of can't the deliberation handle the truth right Something like that. Well, you know, the fans, they're they are empowered. Uh, and, uh, you know, they like to play, um, you know, their their own draft cap experts. So uh, everyone's wondering. Speaking of tweets, though, and Larry, glad you brought that up, uh, Darren, because I got one here, at Paul Calvisi. I love that you are in the grassy knoll. Just listen to your recent podcast. <laughs> Quote, thus far. This is from a man by the name of Travis. And he Aww. has some sort of. Doctorate designation on the end of his uh, Twitter handle. Okay, a uh, man with a PhD apparently. I and was hoping continues. I
0: was hoping it was from Fitz.
1: He continues here with a thus far, having training in psychiatry. I can confirm that the expression alludes to the idea that he may have more football in his future. Hashtag Forty and Slip. There you go. Took a week and it took a PhD to weigh in via Twitter, but there you go. Finally, someone is in the poly pencil neck camp when it comes to Larry Fitzgerald. Hashtag thus far.
2: Your 12 weeks of Larry Fitzgerald theories have finally paid off. So now we are confident that we – so what's it going to be? He's coming back? Is that what he's
1: saying? Uh, well, he's coming back to the game, Kyle. Um, this is my latest theory that in, in relation to our earlier theory uh, from last week, that actually was on the back of something you had thrown out there. See, this is a, you know, this is teamwork here. Compound okay. theories. I like right. it. That's how this, you know, it's a great idea. You get a bunch of people in a room and you throw stuff out and it's and it's, it's a catalyst for other ideas. So the reason we don't know about Larry is because he has no interest in participating in this offseason. There are two destinations for Larry Fitzgerald. Most likely if he comes back, it'll be the Cardinals. Okay, I'm with you guys on that one. But there's another offensive playbook out there that he doesn't need an offseason to learn because he had five years in it, and it happens to be in Tampa. So if there's another off season where he can just give himself 36 holes of golf every single day, and not have to worry about the nuisance of virtual Zoom sessions in season 18, it would be Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers. And I, he's coming back. It's gonna be one destination or the other. You can set your odds accordingly on the Cardinals versus Buccaneers. That's where we're at right now.
2: I think you accidentally maybe brought up a good point about the draft because, (laughs) I mean, he's almost out of sight, out of mind for me right now. We're talking about the Cardinals taking a wide receiver at 16, and if that happens, does Fitz – have anywhere to play? I mean, if you talk about a Jalen Waddle or a Devonte Smith, does that completely shut the door on it? I mean, yes. I never yes. even. No, he's
1: he's not coming back to the Cardinals if they go receiver at sixteen. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, and I didn't even really think about it. He's just been kind of outside of the purview doing this draft stuff, but that is kind of interesting. Where and, and if you're Steve Kym, I don't think that can factor in at all. You're looking long-term for this team. And if you love a Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith, whoever, if they're there at 16, I don't think you can consider, even though Larry Fitzgerald means a ton for this organization, you have to decide what's best in 2021 and beyond. And if you love that player, I think you take them. And then, yeah, if, th- if that happens, there's going to be a lot of concern about what that means for Larry Fitzgerald. That's
0: funny. Cause I, twice in my career i've gone to a veteran quarterback um when they were still in a point where they were playing a lot to ask them when the drum beat was loud that the cardinals might take a quarterback in the first round or a quarterback period maybe not the first round i was still with the tribune in 2006 when i managed to talk to kurt warner in march early march whatever it was and asked him how he felt if the cardinals were to take his successor in the first round because there were guys like vince young and matt leinart and jay cutler available and kurt warner in no uncertain terms said he didn't understand why you'd want to take a quarterback in the first round this team was close enough to win give me let's get get a player that's going to help us right away rather than somebody who's going to sit behind me for the time being Flash forward to 20, I think it was 2016, maybe.
1: Well, before you do that, though, Darren, 2006, what did the Cardinals do? Number 10 overall? Matt Leiner. USC.
0: And and Matt. not only did they take Matt Leiner, but Kurt started the season, made it two and a half games before he fumbled 10 times in two and a half games and got benched, and then all hell broke loose the rest of that season.
1: Believe me, I was uh, that, there. Danny Green ripped the microphone out of my hand in Atlanta and declared Matt Leinart the starter. So continued, Aaron. <laughs> that's a
0: whole other story. Um, then in 2016 or so, I remember going and talking to Carson Palmer and saying, okay, there's a lot of talk that this team could take a quarterback as your eventual successor. And Carson Palmer couldn't have been more. Like, I would totally understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be playing this game forever. And, you know – if they want to take somebody to learn under me, I completely understand I would have no problem to, if they took a quarterback. And it was just – it's striking to me a little bit that the dichotomy. You know, I, I think Fitz is at a point in his career where he's had a lot of guys um, come through anyways that may or may not have replaced him. I mean, Michael Floyd, they took Michael Floyd because they thought he was going to be good. But, and I know it was back in 2012, so it seems like a lifetime ago they took Michael Floyd to replace Larry Fitzgerald. That's why they took Michael Floyd. The thought process was Larry had another year or two to go or so before it wasn't gonna work anymore. And Michael Floyd would be a nice guy to step in. And I remember even joking with Michael Floyd who did not necessarily like doing a lot of media. And I remember one time Larry was doing his little post-practice scrum by his locker and I didn't have to be over there for it. And Michael Floyd kind of comes over and he's kind of looking at it and I sidled up to him and I said, hey I said when he retires that's that's gonna be your gig you're gonna have the big scrum and he looked at me and he's like no it ain't
1: <laughs> yeah that is that is so Michael Floyd you're right but yeah I, I totally forgot about that that's almost a decade ago they ostensibly drafted Larry Fitzgerald's replacement in, in round 1 13 overall if memory serves with, with Michael Floyd yeah you're, you're, you're absolutely right hey, I wouldn't put it past Larry just announcing that he retires, if that's the route he goes, during draft weekend. If it's about reducing the fanfare and minimizing the headlines, you know what? Just bury it in the middle of round one somewhere around Thursday's Thursday night's draft. Oh, and by the way, footnote, number 11 is retired after 17 seasons.
2: I guess I don't really understand the reducing fanfare aspect. Can't he just go to – an island and turn off his phone and come back in three weeks i mean the the news cycle goes so fast i mean obviously people will say a lot of nice things about him but if he really doesn't have any interest in participating why can't he just leave and enjoy a mojito or something and then come back when he's ready
1: as long as they have 18 holes of golf on that deserted island yeah that. yeah
2: okay just throw your phone away yeah
1: that's true so <laughs> all right uh so anyway uh you know as of right now, hey, my my theory is still plausible, right? Thus far, speaking in present tense about his, uh, there's 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 no past tense, there's no future tense. He's still speaking in present tense, so we'll take that as as, as if he's still an active player.
2: It's so much conviction, Paul. My theory is still plausible. That's what you're going with. You got you got to really lean into it and pretend like you know. Try to get that grassy knoll going I, a lot harder. I'm so going to miss this part of the podcast.
0: I can't do it anymore. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, and, on, I, and I'm being man, genuine
0: change. here, Paul.
1: They might change from week to week, but god darn it, I own it that week. I own that theory that week. I mean, let, let it be said that I'm fully vested with each and every theory. They might have a shelf life, but I'm in, I'm all in. Well, and even if. Even if he retires, you're going to
2: have the theories of him coming back. So I don't think this is going to be dead for a long time. I mean, this is like the Michael
1: Jordan, yeah. will he or won't he? Paul's yeah. going to
2: keep that alive for fits.
1: Well, that is plausible. Let's just get out of the way right now, Kyle. You're right. because there's, there's I'm not putting it past Larry pulling a Dwight Freeney or a John Abraham showing up in late late August or even mid-September. I mean, I, I absolutely, he, he's, he's capable of doing that. Come on now. We know that. All right. Uh, there you go. We'll see. Uh, you know, we need answers, just like the guy who tweeted you, Darren. You know, we, we need answers around here. You know, um, I get it. you know, whether it whether it's a few good men or it's uh, or it's just uh, in the mailbag, uh, we need and deserve answers. These and things hopeful- happen in
0: threes, Paul. So that's what yeah. we we're hoping for.
1: Hopefully it'll be clear, crystal clear <laughs> by next Thursday night and start okay. of the draft. That'll do it for Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.